Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. One of Colorado's highest peaks is no longer named for a disgraced historical figure who endorsed the Sand Creek Massacre. That's one of several recent name changes following years of pressure to include Native voices in the decisions to honor historical people and terms. And there's a long list of additional proposed changes to problematic place names in the works. We'll hear what it takes to identify and change names of places in the face of public opposition. We're back after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Jill Freitas from KMBA in Anchorage, Alaska, filling in for Antonia Gonzalez. Indigenous Guatemalans, who make up nearly half that country's population, continue to protest their government's apparent actions to block the takeover of reformist President Bernardo Arevalo, elected in a landslide last month. This week, various Maya groups called for nationwide road blockades and protests. Maria Martin reports. The indigenous organizations Codeca and 48 Cantones, or 48 Villages, blocked traffic at more than a dozen crossroads and bridges throughout Guatemala. They're calling for the resignation of corrupt Justice Department officials they accuse of interfering with the results of the recent presidential election. Nosotros estamos acá exigiendo su renuncia. This participant blocking the highway in Totonicapan says these corrupt government officials, including Attorney General Consuelo Porras, are harming the country. Codeca leader Delma Cabrera, whose own presidential candidacy was blocked by the courts earlier this year, says the blockades are the only option allowed Guatemalans whose popular will is being ignored. Respetar la voluntad del pueblo se está violando la miseria de democracia. Meanwhile, the U.S. government says it's prepared to level sanctions against those who block Guatemala's presidential transition. For National Native News, I'm Maria Martin. The St. Regis Mohawk Tribal Council is continuing their attempts to promote better relationships with external governments and agencies, including with New York State Governor Kathy Hochul's administration. Last week, they had the opportunity to host NYS Deputy Secretary for First Nations Dr. Elizabeth Rule and voice the need to rejuvenate their government-to-government relationship with the state. The St. Regis Mohawk Tribe hopes that through the Deputy Secretary for First Nations, Governor Hochul's administration will continue to give attention and distribute financial resources to address the challenges that face tribal nations across the state. Senator Alex Padilla, chair of the Environment and Public Works Subcommittee on Fisheries, Water and Wildlife, held a hearing entitled Drinking Water and Wastewater Infrastructure in Tribal Communities. Testimonies were given from tribal water experts and stakeholders on a range of water-related issues for tribes in the United States, including lack of access to infrastructure, deferred maintenance of existing infrastructure, inadequate water quality, and workforce development shortfalls. Padilla spoke about the statistics of running water and sanitation in Native American homes. Native American households are 19 times more likely than white households to lack indoor pipes for running water and sanitation. Inadequate water supply and deteriorating pipes can impact the public health, education, and economic development of tribal communities. If you can't trust the water you're drinking or the plumbing that keeps your home sanitary, it harms 
your quality of life. Jola Wallowingbull is the director of the Northern Arapaho Tribal Engineering Department and is a member of the Northern Arapaho Tribe from the Wind River Indian Reservation. She states that the application approval process is delaying repairs and is causing many tribal homes to get worse while people wait for assistance. While we wait for applications to be approved, our work cannot and does not wait. Leaks and other issues continue while our requests slowly move through the approval process. We plug holes as best we can, but the review system ensures that we are always addressing emergencies rather than allocating our resources to planning future development. The Indian Health Service reports that approximately 17% of American Indian and Alaska Native homes lack adequate sanitation facilities. I'm Jill Freitas. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Is your tank empty? There's another gas you should be worried about. Carbon monoxide can kill in minutes, but you can stay safe by placing CO alarms in your home. Support by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. Ready to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help with advice and resources. See what SBA can do for you. Go to sba.gov start. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. A 14,000-foot peak outside of Denver, Colorado, no longer bears the name of a former governor. It was originally named after John Evans, who was Colorado's territorial governor more than 150 years ago. He was forced to resign that position after his role in instigating the Sand Creek Massacre in 1864. The peak is now named Mount Blue Sky. It's one of the latest name changes of mountains, lakes, trails, and other geographical areas because they have either been deemed offensive or honor men with questionable accomplishments. Those include the removal of a racial slur from over 650 places on federal land ordered by Secretary of Interior Deb Holland. Today on our show, we'll talk with historians and advocates on renaming and reclaiming the names of peaks, trails, and valleys. Have you seen a trail or mountain renamed in your area recently? Let us know by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. On the line in Concho, Oklahoma, we have Fred Mosqueda. He is the Arapaho Language and Culture Program Coordinator for the Cheyenne and Arapaho Tribes of Oklahoma. He is Southern Arapaho. Hello, Fred. Welcome back to NAC. Hello. I'm glad to be here. Also in Concho, Oklahoma, is Chester Whiteman. He is the Cheyenne Coordinator of the Cultural Program of the Cheyenne and Arapaho Tribes, and he is Southern Cheyenne. Chester, welcome back to you, too. Glad to be here. Ready and to say, go. All right. Good to have you, Chester. 
In Salem, Oregon, we have Dr. David Lewis. He's an assistant professor of anthropology and indigenous studies at Oregon State University and blogs at Indian History Research. He's a member of the Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde. David, you've been on the show before, too. Welcome back. Uh, thanks for inviting me. In Fresno, California, we're joined by Roman Raintree. He is the Chief Impact Officer for Seeds of Sovereignty and a Community Organizer for the Industrials Area Foundation. He is Dunlap Band of Mono Indians and Choinumni and Wukchumni peoples. Roman, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. And in Washington, D.C., we have Tom Rogers. He is a senior advisor for the Rocky Mountain Tribal Council. He was also a whistleblower for the Jack Abramoff scandal. He is a Blackfeet tribal member. Tom, welcome to the show, and please feel free to further introduce yourself. Very nice to be with you, uh, gentlemen. I'm honored and privileged to be here today. Um, my name is One Who Rides His Horse East, and I was given that name for the work that I've done on all the Blackfeet tribal issues. And uh, I had the great honor, the great honor in addition to being the whistleblower of the Jack Abramoff scandal, sir, as being selected by Politico magazine as one of the top 40 individuals in the country when it comes to uh, race and politics and culture this year. Well, Tom, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. And I'll tell you what, I'd love to bring you back and talk a little bit more about your knowledge of the Jack Abramoff scandal. I know it had impacted a number of tribes, some here in the Southwest, in fact. So it's great to have you on the show. And uh, listeners, we are going to cover a wide range of uh, regions in Native America today. And let's go ahead and begin with uh, a name change in Colorado. And to do that, we're going to go ahead and start with Fred Mosqueda. And Fred, this uh, mountain there in Colorado, Mount Evans, why the need to change that name, please? Well, the, the name came from John Evans, who was the second territorial governor. And also at that time, of the, of the, in, in the 1860s, he was also the Shine Arapaho Indian agent for the tribes. And what he did is, you know, they say that he had, he had nothing to do with Sand Creek, but by his lack of doing anything, as the governor and as their Indian agent, he allowed Sand Creek to happen. He allowed all the the process that took place for Sand Creek to happen to take place without him stopping or saying anything. So that that that's who the mountain was named after. Okay, former governor uh, John Evans and uh, Chester, please go ahead and join us into the conversation. What's the history there of this mountain, and, and how is it important culturally to your people? Chester, are you there? Fred, maybe you can help us out and give us a little bit of history there on this mountain. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, Chester, we can hear you. I just asked you about the history of the mountain. Okay, yeah, it, it's, uh, it, it stands out on that mountain range and um you know it has the the name of John Evans or it had the name of John Evans and we Fred came into my office one day and said we need to come up with a name so I thought about it for a little bit and I said how about uh blue sky so 
So we start kicking it around, and we, Fred put it into a resolution form, and we gave it to, I think, the governor or the legislators, and here we go. That's when we start it. And, you know, it's history now. Right, right. So tell us a little bit more about the cultural significance of the mountain to uh, to the Cheyenne people. Well, it's it's part of our part of our territory, the 18, 1851 treaty. We went from part of Nebraska, Kansas, Colorado, eastern half of Colorado and and the range the mountain range, front range of uh, the Rocky Mountains. But if you if you really look at the boundary of that, it was the other side of the mountain range, not the the eastern side, it was the western side of the mountain range. So this these these mountains, that mountain range has a lot of uh what you would call rock formations that are stacked on top of each other to uh signify when our people went through there they they put those rock formations in place to to remember what they'd done in in the mountain range, and some of those some of those rock formations haven't been found yet, but one of these days we'll find them. Right, right. Thanks, Chester. Fred, back to you. So, what is the new name of the mountain? The new name is the one that um, Chester hollered at across the hallways. Is Blue Sky Mountain? Or Mount Blue Sky. Mount Blue Sky. And why that name? What's the significance? Well, as Chester explained to me when he um, thought the name, um, the, the Cheyenne have a, a a ceremony, you might say, that's the renewal of all things living annually. And that's where this Blue Sky ceremony comes from. And the other, some of the other tribes called the Arapaho, the Blue Sky people. So it ties the Cheyenne Rapo together through this name. Interesting. And has there been any pushback from the public at all with the new name? Um, of course, you know, we had, um, there was other names that were uh, also on applications for this, for this mount- naming of this new, this mountain. And so, of course, they had their opinions and they had their, their say and their beliefs. In in, um, in in their names that they selected, you know, some of them wanted to rename it for um, the name stay the same, Evans, for you know his uh, uh, for Ann Evans, and also there was other names they wanted to change back to Mount Rosalie, which was the original uh, name, and Rosalie was quite a woman, mm-hmm. but um, also um, Mount Soul, which was the one of the uh, military officers that was at Sand Creek that refused to shoot and, and at the uh, the Cheyenne Rappo tribes camp there. So there was there was some names and they they also had their their opinions. Then. But I the majority of the support was always for Blue Sky. Mount Blue Sky it is. And Fred Chester shared that uh, you folks submitted a, a resolution, and was it a, a pretty straightforward political process, or did it take some wrangling to get the change done? Well, what we did is 
when when Chester and I started this, we didn't have no idea on what to do. So what we did is we passed a legislative resolution from the Shinarapo tribes, and we addressed it to Congress because somebody said made the comment it's going to take an act to Congress to change that name. So we assumed that that's how you did it, but that's not the way you did it. So of the Wilderness Society that that's there, Evan Paul Stidler contacted us and told us that's not how you do it. You have to do an application, you know, and go through you know the the, the Colorado naming board. And so he he co-authored the application with us. Um, to to submit the the name change, so that's how we got started on doing it the right way. Thank thank goodness for Paul Stiller. Mm-hmm. And Chester, was it hard to convince folks uh, when you presented this information uh, about Governor Evans and his checkered history? Were people familiar with that? Did they know that information, or did you have to do some education too? Some didn't know, you know, about Mount or John Evans, but in their in the back of their mind, they heard they heard the name before in in their stories from their grandparents, great grandparents, and different things like that. Who the Indian agent was in Colorado when we got removed or moved, or what, what would you say downsized? Downsized. When we, okay. When we when they went down from. The 1861 treaty down to Fort Wise, the Fort Wise Treaty. Gotcha, gotcha. We're going to go ahead and take our first break here. And uh, interesting conversation. We're just kicking it off, talking about uh, Mount Blue Sky in Colorado. And we're going to talk about more name changes. The massive Medicaid fraud scam centered in Arizona also ensnared Native victims as far away as Montana and the Dakotas. The scheme built hundreds of millions of dollars from the state and left would-be patients stranded and mistrusting the system. We'll get the latest on the efforts to repair the damage from the treatment center scandal and the next Native America Calling. Education sovereignty. It begins with us. That's the theme of the National Indian Education Association's 54th Convention and Trade Show to be held in Albuquerque October 18th through the 21st. You have an important role to play in the ongoing effort to reclaim education sovereignty. The agenda includes an educator day, a student day, professional learning opportunities, and the NIEA awards ceremony. Registration ends October 13th at NIEA.org. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We are talking about name place changes that are offensive or venerate leaders with troubled records with Native Americans. If there's a name of a trail or a mountain in your community that saw a name change in recent years or a name you would like to see changed, join our conversation. The number is 1-800-996-2848 or just 1-800-99-NATIVE. That works just as well. Let's go ahead and bring Tom Rogers into our conversation again. He's a senior advisor for the Rocky Mountain Tribal Council. And Tom, the name of a mountain in Yellowstone National Park was changed last year. How are you involved with that effort? Well, I've been working with the uh, Rocky Mountain Tribal Leaders for over 
almost 15, 20 years. And during my tenure there, um, we had, you know, had been brought to our attention of the the history of uh, the Mount Doan, which is, of course, located in Yellowstone Park. And as we approached the 150th anniversary of Yellowstone Park, it became much more immediate um, that we address this issue. Uh, we had a coalition, as always, because um, the broader the coalition, the deeper the change. And um, we had a coalition of tribal leaders from the Blackfeet Confederacy in Canada, the Northern Cheyenne Tribe, of course, the Blackfeet in Montana. And... Uh, it was saying that, you know, the, the difference between uh, the right word and the wrong word is the difference between lightning and a lightning bug. And when we heard of, of course, and a reference to the history of Mount Doan, which was named after Gustavus Doan, a lieutenant colonel um, who led an effort to massacre over 200 William and, uh, Blackfeet women and children on the Marias River in 1870 in January, on a cold, cold January winter uh, morning. Um, it should be noted, uh, my friend, that uh, in his BIA report that he filed with the, uh, uh, the federal government on the after-action report, he said as follows, that he was heartened to see the blood of the Blackfeet women and children merge with the cold waters of the Marias River. And he told his fellow soldiers that if they ran out of bullets, they could use the pickaxes on the women and children. Mm. So as we sought to cleanse this history that we have, this antiseptic myth-making, and as you know, my dear friends, there's a lot of myth-making when it comes to Native Americans and indigenous people, whether it's manifest destiny or the doctrine of discovery. We have all these symbols and all these words that are cloaked in darkness. And uh, we thought this would be a teachable moment to educate um, the citizens of this country, the citizens of the state, of the counties, and our fellow tribal members to um, remind them of that words do matter and that, um, and most importantly, to give peace to those 200 women and children as they ran towards a river in below zero weather on a cold January morning as they were screaming, as they were being shot and bludgeoned with pickaxes. Yeah, horrific. Horrific. Uh, Tom, what's the new name of the mountain? First People's Mountain. It was a consensus by the, our Blackfeet brothers and sisters in uh, the First Nations of Canada, um, and also, of course, of the Rocky Mountain Tribal Leaders Council, which represents tribes in Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho, and in Canada. And so we thought that would be another teachable moment to remind people that um, – this, this name needed to have something that was spiritual and was teachable historically and that was accurate uh, to the people of our country. And to also to remind people that we've been in Yellowstone Park for tens of thousands of years and it did not take a white European to discover Yellowstone Park. Mm. And Tom, was it a, a tough fight to get that name changed or... Was it pretty easy? No, it, uh, life, as you know, change in this country, other than out of an abject crisis, comes very slow. Any change in this country is very incremental. People are adverse to change. Um, and it, it took much longer than it ever should have. It took over a decade. Uh, if you're presented with the facts, the moral certitude 
that the name needed to be changed, not to honor a man who committed horrific war crimes, war crimes against the Blackfeet people and all indigenous brothers and sisters. Uh, took much longer than it ever should have. We had to work at the state and local level, the county level. The, the unwillingness, my friend, to, to just in a moment, like the, the snort of a, a buffalo's breath in the winter, to realize the moral obligation here was breathtaking. People would say, it's time to move on. It's, it's that they cannot face the, well, they just put that to borrow a phrase, they can't handle the truth. And so we incrementally worked with the Department of Interior and the local counties and states and the Board of Geographic Names and all of that and the politicians. And finally, under uh, President Biden, um, with Deb Holland, um, we got the name changed. But like I said, it it took much longer than it ever should have. And um, But it's about our country. It's about passion and perseverance and just abject grit. You just keep working it and working it and working it until you just outwork them. Tom, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing the history of First Peoples Mountain there up in Yellowstone. Appreciate your time. Thank you. With that, let's go ahead and take our first call of the day. We've got Chanupa listening in Pine Ridge, South Dakota on Keeley. Hello, Chanupa. Hey, how you doing, Sean? You know, to the brother that just mentioned things about how brutal the Caucasian folks were in their military, just uh, west of the Pine Ridge Indian Agency here in South Dakota, we have a river that was known to, um, when the white man hunted down the Cheyenne people that had the, the, the Cheyenne outbreak in Fort Robinson, a lot of them sought refuge here in Pine Ridge next to the Red Cloud Agency. And so it was Colonel Reynolds that captured them, okay? And there's altogether 152 Cheyenne women and children and a few men that were wiped out here at the the battle of what they call uh, Slim Buttes, when in fact it was never a battle, okay? What happened was when they were running from the captivity, trying to get back north into the country where they're originally from, they got intercepted, but they sought refuge with, you know, um, Red Cloud and Crazy Horse, because just in the Slim Boots territory is the land of Crazy Horse, Kashunka Witko. So the majority of our Titista brothers and sisters, that they, they tried to change that name, but our people said, no, you leave it. And so the Slim, Slim Boots water, they call it Miniska Wichaka Sote, okay? That's what the name is. And it's still here west of the Pine Ridge Indian region. So I thank that brother, his fortitude and his anger of what he expressed about how the military was back then, harming little babies and whatnot and elders. This is what goes on even today in a modern point of view, but it's done by disease. And I thank you for taking my call, Sean. Much love to you. Let's keep the fight going, man, in preserving our names. All right. Let's do that, Chanupa. And thank you for that warm call. Um, Chester, I would like to give you a chance to respond. Uh, Chanupa mentions the battle, or maybe we should call it the massacre of Slim Buttes. Uh, Is that a, a widely known piece of Cheyenne history that he just shared? 
that's uh, that's kind of the the Northern Cheyenne territory there. We were we were we were the southern part, you know. But but that did happen. Got it. Got it. Okay. I, I would have I would have to agree with that, you know, because you know every every battle every encounter, if if the government won, it was a it was a battle. If they got beat, it was a massacre. Right. You know, right. and it's it it that's uh, Hollywood history and our history. You know, they they have to the yeah. to the victors have this take the spoils. You know, and we right right. We, and it sure is good to to have folks like you, uh, Chester and Fred. And our other guests and Chanupa who are able to decipher the difference between the Hollywood history and the real history. So really appreciate your input. And uh, let's go ahead and move on to Dr. David Lewis, who is with Oregon State University. He's a member of Confederated Tribes of Grand Ron. And David, uh, there's a mountain there in Oregon. It was uh, named Mount Swastika. And then the name was changed to Mount Halo and I think for a lot of listeners, they'd say, well, that seems like, you know, it's pretty obvious why you might want to change that name. However, the swastika name actually predates World War II and the, the Nazi Holocaust. So what prompted the change? Um, yeah, that's right. I mean, I guess the, the, the name swastika, you know, indicates a symbol that was adopted by the Nazis in World War II. And so it's now become this symbol and name that people just don't want to use anymore in polite society. And so, uh, but it, but yeah, around the world, just peoples have used symbols like what's called the whirlwind in their art, in their pottery, in their basketry, and in their religions, uh, spirituality. Um, and so there are a numerous, numerous peoples around the world that, that still use it today and, and don't call it a swastika, call it something else. But, um, so yeah, there are a, a number of uh, even indigenous folks in the United States and Canada that um, that still uh, have have used it and and still use it in their in their art. Yeah, sure. And, and so this name Mount Swastika, how did that come about then? And about what time, uh, uh, what period was that name put in place for that mountain? Yeah, the the name became uh, the mountain name, or sometime around the early part of the 20th century. It came from um, a man who set up a cattle ranch in the little valley, little river valley there next to the mountain, uh, and had a brand on his cattle, which was the swastika brand. And uh, we don't know exactly why he used that. He may have been, you know, replicating something he'd seen somewhere, like a Native American symbol or something. But uh, there's no records of, of why or or anything. Uh, so we know, all we know is there was a cattle ranch there and that there may have been a post office that was named, you know, the Swastika post office at one point that lasted maybe five years. And so it was a very short time period, maybe 1880s to the 1920s at the most. And then the ranch was gone. And so, and after that, some, for some reason, the mountain was named Swastika Mountain and uh, likely before, you know, the Nazis began using it for um, for uh, sort of negative advertising. So, at what point then did people get concerned and say, "Hey, we got to do something about this name. It's got to change." 
Well, we've been noticing it uh, for a number of years. There's been an effort in Oregon to rename a lot of the uh, SQ place names and other sort of negative place names like Dead Indian Road down down there by Ashland. And uh, and so um, we've been, you know, we've noticed it, uh, but swastika is not necessarily, the symbol itself is not necessarily negative to Native peoples, except for in American culture. And, and so... Uh, uh, now that um, you know the federal government and the state wants to sort of rename all these sort of negative uh, place names um, that relate to sort of uh, native peoples and blacks and other people in the state, uh, they uh, had asked uh, me for a, a name to propose for that that mountain, um, and so they went through a process a couple years ago to to find the name. Uh, and I had done a bunch of research on this uh, this uh, Native American chief, uh, Kala Native Kalapuya chief, uh, who never um, at all um, re- removed to a reservation, remained in his place, even though he was threatened at gunpoint to remove in 1856, and he refused to remove, and so he was he stayed there with his family. And so I'd done a bunch of research on on that man because uh, I kind of respected him and somewhat related to him as well. And his uh, birth village is, is about 20 miles away from that mountain. So that, that, that became a, a good candidate for a place name change. So that is how the name Mount Halo came about. That's a derivative of this chief's name? That's right. Uh, we, you know, a lot of the tribes here don't have uh, names for every small mountain and every creek in, in our land, we have names for larger places like Hood and, and uh, uh, you know, like Columbia River and stuff like that. But we don't have um, the names for every every place. And, and a lot of our, the colonization of this area, really early on, 1830s, 1840s, uh, uh, kind of destroyed a lot of Native knowledge about um, their land. And so that, that was never collected by anthropologists. Um, many people died off before it could be collected. And so... Uh, we decided to proceed a direction of um, naming it after a chief that was significant in our history and the colonial history of, of, the, of this land, Some, uh, who, uh, a man who, who persevered despite colonization and became somewhat respected in the, in the region uh, for his perseverance. Thank you, David. Let's go ahead and take our second call of the day. We've got Nicole listening on station KGLP in Gallup, New Mexico. Hi, Nicole. You're on the air. Sean. I am a woman who has a strong heart. I am a fighter. I do have grit. I do have strength and perseverance. I have written letters to every newspaper uh, in the state of New Mexico as well as Arizona, whoever would accept my letter to the editor. And what I'm trying to do is uh, uh, change the name of every fort on or near the Navajo Nation, starting with Fort Wingate that has a long negative uh, history to our Dene Long Walk descendants in 1868. We had to walk many miles, which people, uh, our elders, our women, fathers, and children died along the way to be forced to go to Bosque Verdundo. 
So it's been three years that I have started this, and two years of that is COVID. So I'm starting it again, and um, uh, I, I'm really thankful for this conversation because it, because it gives me the understanding of all the hurdles and hoops that I'm going to have to jump jump through and how long the longevity is about getting this completed. I may be gone to heaven, to happy hunting grounds, wherever you choose, but at least it started. And I want to thank the warriors, the male warriors that are helping me understand the plight that I have to challenge uh, in this day's plight. So uh, thank you very much. Nicole, thank you for calling in. I think you called in the last time we did a show about uh, changes to to landmarks, and and I'm really glad you're enjoying this show, and you appreciate the information. And uh, please keep in touch with us and keep us updated on your progress there to change the names of forts uh, near the Navajo Reservation. That was a strong-hearted Diné woman, Nicole, calling in from Gallup, New Mexico. And after the break. We'll go ahead and, and get a response. Uh, maybe we can get some advice for Nicole how she can proceed. So, folks, stay with us. We'll be right back. Did you know that there could be a silent killer inside your home? You may know it, carbon monoxide. It's a poisonous gas that can't be seen or smelled, yet it can kill a family in a matter of minutes. You can protect yours by installing carbon monoxide alarms throughout your home. Find more on the dangers of carbon monoxide and additional safety information at cpsc.gov. Support by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking about name changes to geographic features. Join this conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. 1-800-996-2848. We just had a great call before break. Uh, a woman, a strong-hearted Diné woman from Gallup, New Mexico, interested in changing the names of forts uh, situated near the Navajo Reservation. And I'd like to give our guest, David Lewis, a chance to respond to that. David, any advice you can offer to a person like Nicole who's interested? Because th- this sounds like a big task that she's got at hand, changing the names of all these forts all around the Navajo Reservation. We know how much space we're talking about. That is a big reservation. Yeah, I think that um, it's going to be a hard thing to do because, I mean, it has a lot of military history and people love their military history in the United States, right? So I think what you're going to have to do, what I've been doing here is doing a lot of research, background research on the histories and stuff, and then start to educate all of the people in your area, not just the Native people, but all the white people and all the other people that are there, um, and help them sort of understand why these things are, these names are offensive, you know, because we have the same thing in Oregon. We have like, you know, Lane County and General Lane had, you know, fought the Indians in, in the Rogue River area and, and killed a lot of them, were part of the the exterminators, the, the volunteers that exterminated villages. And so uh, so we've had, we've had some efforts to rename Lane County too. So, but uh, I've gotten a lot of support in, in things like that by, just you know, go doing presentations and you know over and over again, talk to people about this history and how negative the settler history was and how we've uh, um, you know we're not you know we had didn't reap the benefits of, uh, in colonization. We lost so much you know people and, and, and land and, and rights and everything else in our, in our, mm-hmm. our colonization. And so that's uh, that's what I suggest. You know that we, you just educate the public 
and then over time, maybe 10, 15, 20 years from now, you'll 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 see some results. You know, that's my experience. All right. So definitely uh, sounds like she needs to prepare to to dig in for what could be a long fight. And and David, another interesting thought here is you kind of have to ask yourself, well, like, how bad do these people have to be? You know, if we're, if we're talking about changing the names of of places that are named after controversial figures, like how bad did these people have to be? What was their track record? Because earlier we heard from uh, Chester and from Fred with regard to this Governor Evans, and, and his crime was basically just, just turning a blind eye, right? He just kind of ignored the travesty. But then we heard from Tom Rogers, and we hear about this Gustav Doan character, and I mean, this guy just sounded evil, the rhetoric that came from his mouth. So where's the line? When do we know, hey, this person went so far, you know, there's it's it's time to change a name? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of folks that um, have these sort of negative histories and that, and our historians haven't really done us a, a really good, really big favor in terms of covering up that history. So a lot of times we have to dig into uh, archives and find what they really did rather than what was said in, in the sort of popular history books and stuff. And so we, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a hard thing to do, um, but it, t- it takes time, but it's worthwhile, and people just don't understand. A lot of folks are not, in, not informed about history at all, and so uh, if they see the actual history, uh, I, think, I think it'll be um, eye-opening for a lot of people, and that's my experience. Okay. Yeah, it certainly does sound like if uh, if people just had a better understanding of some of this American history, uh, some of these these changes would be easier, or perhaps some of these names would have never uh, come about in the first place. So thank you, David. And, and let's go ahead and move on now to Roman Raintree. He has been waiting patiently in the wings. He's in Fresno, California. And Roman, uh, help us out here. The federal government and Secretary of Interior Deb Holland have pushed for the removal of the, I'll just call it the SQ word. We won't say the, the, the word out loud here on the show, but let's just, begins with an S and ends with the letter Q. And uh, it is a, a, a slur uh, that is used uh, in, in, throughout history for, for Native women. And uh, so there's just been, you know, this federal law, this federal mandate to change the names of, of more than 600 locations, sites, federal sites that have that word in their titles. Uh, however, in Fresno County, there has been a push to bring the name back to a certain valley. And I know you've been heavily involved in that effort uh, against uh, those folks that want to bring that name back. What's driving this lawsuit? Fill us in. Um, the acceptance of change. Um, the, the new name is Yokuts Valley. Um, I am of the Yokuts people, the Wokchumni and the, the Choinumni people are of the Yokuts people, um, those tribes are non-federally acknowledged. So this whole process of changing the name is shedding the, to the the non-native community um, that we're still here, that we still exist, and to tell the federal government that you know this is genocide through bureaucracy. That if you can't acknowledge us, this is the plight that we face. And so um, it's a big step to erase. Um, our ancestral homeland's former derogatory pejorative name of the SQ word, SQ Valley, to now it being Yokuts Valley. And that lack of uh, acceptance, um, I dare say institutionalized racism here locally, has prompted our local board of supervisors to challenge the wrong entity. They're actually challenging the state of California on um, the authority 
to actually rename our uh, local community to Yokuts Valley. Mm. Now, you've been involved for a long time. Uh, initially, you were involved in changing that name to Yokuts Valley. So what first drew you to this issue and how did you get involved? Uh, what drew me to the issue was the passing of my mother. And one of the final conversations I had with my mother was, do you think we'll ever be tribally acknowledged? That is to say, do you think we'll ever be federally acknowledged that so long as our ancestral homeland bears the name of this pejorative? And she said no. So uh, for the past three years, I've been really actively trying to get this. And fortunately, America has a process. They have a petition process to formally request um, any geographic locale uh, renaming. So um, that's the process we went through. And then we coupled that with uh, legislation, which culminated in um, Assembly Bill 2022 here in California. Mm-hmm. So tell us more about the name Yokuts Valley. Why that name? How'd that come about? Well, that was the consensus of the, the elders here, tribally speaking. Um, that is the, the original inhabitants, the first stewards of that valley, uh, the Yokuts people. And as I had mentioned, um, all the tribes located in that valley all never had their treaties uh, ratified. Essentially, they're all non-fairly recognized tribes. And so this would show some acknowledgement here locally. I mean, how are we supposed to get uh, the federal government after four decades of denial to acknowledge a Choinomni tribe or a Wakchumni person lawfully if our local communities don't even know who we are? And this was the first step to educate. Because now people are asking, well, who are the Yokuts? What happened to the Yokut people? Where are they? Where did they go? And that has been a whole other uh, uh, rough journey and people trying to ex- accept the truth that the first settlers, a lot of them gain their monetary um, purchase, the value of their purchase through our Indian scalps, through the payment that uh, California decided to do in the 1850s to pay for our scalps. So it's really fascinating just trying to educate the public about who we are, that we're still here and lawfully, we're not even considered Native American to this day. Mm. And this lawsuit, uh, I mean, how much teeth does it have? Are, are you worried that it could be successful? And, and who exactly is driving this? The local board supervisor who Yokuts Valley is in his district, uh, Nathan Magstick, he's driving this. And he's actually uh, suing the state of California. And I don't have any, uh, I don't believe, I believe it's going to get tossed out because the state of California didn't rename it to Yokuts Valley. It was by order of the federal government, the federal board on geographic names, the same place we submitted our federal petition to for renaming. They're the ones with the authority. So I think it's going to get tossed out by that, that he needs to take his case up with the federal government. Um, But it doesn't seem to stop him. Just Tuesday, they have now voted three to two as a board of supervisors to put on a March ballot to empower our local board of supervisors to change and amend the Fresno County Charter to empower them to rename any unincorporated community in Fresno County, which would include Yokuts Valley. Okay. And what is their basis here? What are they saying about the SQ or they don't think it's offensive or what's their position? They don't think it's offensive, and um, they want to keep the, wor- uh, the the former name. 
um, which now they can because AB 2022, California Assembly Bill, states that they now, California now regards the SQ word as offensive language. So now the complaint is if you must change it, then we, the local residents, should have an input on what the new name is. And the whole time during our journey, we've done extensive outreach to try to bring them in, encouraging them to contact the federal board when they solicited the community input, but they didn't do that. So it's kind of hard now that it's changing. They don't like the new name that it has been changed to, and now they they don't really have a dog a fire a bone in the fight, you know, a dog okay. in the fight. And as I understand it, to add insult to injury, they've accused you of being an outsider to the county. Uh, how does that make you feel? It, it, it's infuriating and humorous at the same time because the board of uh, uh, supervisor that's making those allegations, he himself is a transplant from Orange County, um, having uh, relocated to the Central Valley of California as a teenager. He's more of a transplant. My family has land up there my burial grounds are still up there and i do say that because um you know being non-fairly acknowledged it's very difficult to stay connected so it's, it's very inferior in that sense that you know those are my roots and to this day i think it's worth noting that he's never offered or never taken me up on my offer to sit down and talk person to person We've only been confined to the two-minute public comment section of their meetings. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, congratulations on your victory there, you and the other people who fought so hard for Yokuts Valley. But Thank of course, uh, the SQ name uh, is, is 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 used in many places, right? Uh, not just federal lands, um, parks, and other types of properties. How closely are you are you looking to to perhaps push for for name changes uh, outside of the federal domain where the SQ word still exists? Uh, th that's not really uh, where we're transitioning to. We're trying to harness right now all the energy and um, education from it being changed to Yokuts Valley to raise awareness that that particular place, Yokuts Valley or Fresno County in general, Fresno County has the most tribes in all of America actively petitioning for federal acknowledgement. So we're trying to change the story to say we need to get to our federal acknowledgement. How do we get there? And our next step is hopefully trying to get some sort of state acknowledgement, maybe something. But it's trying to raise that awareness. So that was our initial goal. Okay. And uh, if you folks are able to to gain federal recognition, how much more leverage will that give you with regard to anything that occurs in Yokuts Valley or any other types of issues similar to this in California? Oh, I think it's a, it's a game changer. It, it gives us an automatic seat at the table with all the other tribes that are currently federally acknowledged. Um, it gives us a voice. It, it acknowledges our existence, for one. Um, right now, we're not even lawfully acknowledged that we exist as Native people. Mm. And how close do you are, are you folks in in that process? Are you optimistic that 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 will happen? Federal recognition in the next Not, few years? No, no. It, my my people and many of the people that here in Fresno County have been petitioning for the past four decades, and no Californian tribe. I think it's worth noting, no Californian tribe has ever successfully gained federal acknowledgement since the system has been created in 1978. 
and California is the most travelly diverse state, and it also accounts for 25% of all active petitions for federal acknowledgement at the moment. Okay. Well, Roman, I appreciate you joining us as well. And as we wind down the show, I want to go back to Fred, Fred Mosqueda, who is in Concho, Oklahoma. And Fred, uh, any other words of wisdom or information for our listeners with regard to the importance of these name changes that we're talking about on our show today? Yes, I think the most important thing the tribe can do, or tribes in our in, in our situation here, we're you know the Cheyenne Arapaho tribes, is to educate educate the people, even our own people, the ones that um, because the government tried to remove all knowledge of our people from from all our, even our tribal members. So we need to educate at all times our history, our culture, our traditions, our language. All that needs to be part of an education program. And what what really helped us in the support is when we began to tell the history of of our tribe that pertained to that area in Colorado during that time frame, then people began to understand how come we're not in Colorado no more. How come there's no Indians on the front east, you know, the east eastern sections of Colorado? It's it's all been in there in our history. But we must educate the people. The people don't know. And we, as, as holders of our stories and our education, our tradition, culture, we must be the ones to educate. So I tell everybody, always go out and educate them because they probably don't know why you're saying that or why you're doing this or anything. Education is most important. Fred, appreciate you uh having the final word here on Native America Calling today. Thank you, Fred. Also to Chester Whiteman, Dr. David Lewis, Roman Raintree, and Tom Rogers. We appreciate all of you for joining us here today and sharing Native perspectives on recent name changes to mountains, lakes, and other geographical landmarks. Join us tomorrow as we talk about updates on the Medicaid fraud scandal that victimized hundreds of Native American people. I'm Sean Spruce. Hope you'll tune in. Do you want to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help. If I had not known about the SBA, I would still be a local business. SBA provides you with experts. It provides you with resources. And whenever you have a question, SBA will be there to help you grow your business. For your small business needs, go to sba.gov start. All SBA programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis. Support provided by Amerind. Amerind is 100% tribally owned and partners with tribes and their businesses to provide affordable commercial insurance coverage, protect tribal sovereignty, and strengthen Native American communities by helping to keep dollars in Indian country. Information about property, liability, commercial auto, and workers' comp available at amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D dot com. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One.
the Native American Radio Network.